0: Welcome to the Forrester Research Podcast. Hi, I'm Tom Pullman, Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Forrester Research. Joined by James McQuivey today. James is a Vice President Principal Analyst at Forrester here. James, thanks for joining today.
1: Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here.
0: Appreciate the time. So you've authored a very popular book entitled Digital Disruption. If you wouldn't mind, just give us the, give, give me the short thumbnail.
1: The short thumbnail. Certainly. Well, digital disruption is basically a way to summarize the fact that Business disruption used to happen. Of course it did. It's been going on for hundreds of years, but it was very rare and very expensive to pull off. And so most companies could avoid it, uh, could even postpone it by deliberately trying to manipulate their market. That's just no longer the case. Digital tools and the changing digital consumer have come to a point where it is now so easy to disrupt any market from heavily regulated businesses like healthcare and banking to obvious things like the media industry. It's just so easy to disrupt. If you use the right digital tools, that every industry will be disrupted.
0: Okay, so let's talk about those digital tools if you don't mind. That that word digital is pretty big and squishy. It's everywhere these days. Can you help me rein it in? I mean what what is the scope of digital in this idea of yours?
1: Yeah, that's a fair question. Because We all think we know what digital means. And that's why we put the word digital with the word disruption, to make it clear that we're talking about a specific thing. This isn't just about the fact that we all have some kind of smartphone in our pockets, yet at the same time it is about the fact that we all have some kind of smartphone in our pockets. But what's happening is that digital basically takes all the constraints in your life and uses some kind of digital digital tool or path or platform to reduce and remove those constraints. I mean, something as simple as how... You choose which, I don't know, eye makeup or butter in the aisle at the grocery store, if you're still going to be in the aisle in the grocery store. Those simple decisions used to be very analog. You had to walk into the store, walk down that aisle, compare the products on the aisle. Maybe you had an advertisement that you pulled out of your pocket, or maybe you remembered vaguely something that you'd seen on a TV ad. But those were all very constrained decisions. Digital uses the inherent ability of digital to put information in front of you when you need it most. So for a decision like that, you're in the aisle, but you have access to a world of information about product quality, other people's ratings. You have the ability to uh, see how other stores would price and offer that same product for you. And suddenly we've removed all the analog barriers to your life experience and replaced it with digital access. And that's why we use the word digital. It's about putting the right information in the right hands at the right time, usually on the right device. Sounds like
0: this is an umbrella for a lot of hyped concepts these days. There's elements of mobile, social, Internet of Things, uh, even the good old uh, World Wide Web is all kind of wrapped up in this. You've nailed
1: it. In fact, anybody who comes to me and says, oh, we get it, we get it, we have a mobile team, I say, no, you don't get it. Mobile is a manifestation of digital disruption, and an important one, and you need to invest in that. But if you think that building a mobile team means you have handled digital disruption, you do not get it. It is bigger than that. It's bigger than your web team. It's bigger than your mobile team. It's bigger than your virtual reality team. I don't care what team you build. Digital now is everybody's business in the entire company. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to care about digital. I had this conversation with a book publisher the other day, and I said, look, we've got people here who design bookmarks. There's nothing digital about that job. I said, oh, yes, there is, because what that bookmark needs to have on it is an invitation to a digital relationship, whether it's a QR code or a specific website that you go to or a page on Facebook. The person building or designing that bookmark needs to be thinking about the digital relationship that that bookmark can contribute to, and that's the power and the pervasiveness yeah. of digital disruption.
0: Well, it's funny. You mentioned the bookmark and the pervasiveness, but that kind of speaks to the challenge of how you rein this, this thing in, right? I mean, it's, it's everywhere. So how does a good old-fashioned B2B company, let's say, rein in this problem? Where does un- ownership sit ultimately? Is it the CEO?
1: Mm. Well, this is going to be a huge mess for everybody. For the next several years, I already am working with any number of companies who are thinking, oh, the solution is to make a, a chief digital officer, which may or may not work. It, it's not there is no guarantee. Yes, make a chief digital officer and you're done because actually you run the risk of ghettoizing digital at that mm-hmm. point, And mm-hmm. everyone else in the organization can say, oh, digital's his or her job. I don't need to worry about it. And That's a mistake. But at the same time, if you don't put the focus somewhere and make it clear to the rest of the company that digital is priority now then, yeah, everyone else is going to uh, to fail to to grab this and work on it. So uh, it's not that there's one particular solution. But having said that, it is really clear that the organizations who adapt to digital best are the ones who make everyone, from the CMO to the CTO, feel like if they don't succeed in digital, the company fails. It has to be a shared responsibility. And yes, that is very problematic for most organizations. Don't know how to share these kinds of imperatives and don't really want to, frankly.
0: Okay. So so is that challenge, James, keeping this um, sort of a startup um, issue? I mean, it sounds like very, you know, startups got to be eating this idea uh, every day, right? Is Absolutely.
1: It? And it's been interesting because for years, I mean, I did my MBA in the early 90s and we talked about having an entrepreneurial mindset inside of large, large organizations. But the fact is, as an entrepreneur in a large organization, prior to digital disruption, you just didn't have a lot of options. It still cost a lot of money to be disruptive. It still took all the political permissions that had to be in place. And most of the distribution partners that you would work with weren't going to behave in a mm-hmm. disruptive way. So having an entrepreneurial mindset 10, 20 years ago meant you had to leave and go be in a startup. Today, that's still the easiest path for someone who really wants to be disruptive. You really probably will go in a startup direction because it's easier. But now a big company can have all the same benefits of a startup by simply adopting the right digital tools and adopting the right mindset, a mindset of digital disruption, understanding your customers and purposes rather than your own internal constraints. It's a, it's, a, it's a reversal of how you think as an organization about what you're doing. Big companies can do that too. They're just they just have a lot harder time doing it than sure. a startup does. And we've actually done an inter- interesting survey where we surveyed executives on a global basis to ask them how ready they are for digital. And we then split the answers by companies that have more than 1,000 employees, which is you know every large company out there, of course. And uh, the answers were significantly worse if you have more than 1,000 employees. So not even just startups, but someone with 500 employees can do this a lot more easily than someone with 5 or 50,000. Employees, But it doesn't have to be that way, and that's the whole point. It would be w- pointless for us to have written this book to then say, and big companies, sorry, you're yeah, out of luck. You can't sure. do that. Yeah. They can. It just takes a lot of political will, and it takes a, an openness to the fact that this is happening that didn't exist before now.
0: I, I wonder if... Um if part of their challenge, James, is they, they kind of pigeonhole uh, digital disruption into, the, con- into the, the realm of just finding new sources of mm. revenue and competition. But yeah. as I hear you speak, and as I read the book, I realize that that's just on the growth side of the ledger, but there's a lot of digital disruption capabilities on the cost side of the ledger in terms of finding new ways to be more efficient. You gave some good supply chain examples. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that? Is, yeah. is it equal in both revenue and cost savings?
1: Well, it turns out that every single function in the business can be digitally disrupted. In fact, it has to be, because somebody somewhere out there in your competition is is changing, either the way you get the job done or the way you distribute it or price it or market it. So... Um, yes, you not only can disrupt the cost side of the business as well as the growth and revenue side of the business, but you have to, and that's the beauty of it. I I actually got a phone call from the uh, CIO of one of the world's largest cement manufacturers, and out of the blue, I thought, I don't know how I'm going to help this guy because you can't really digitize cement, although later I found out there are some cool (laughs) things you can do with cement, but even in the short run, he said to me, look, all I'm doing is using digital, off-the-shelf digital tools, just standard smartphones, GPS, nothing he had to invest in that was particularly advanced to just keep track of the raw materials that they source from more than 90 countries. By doing that, they're able to reduce loss and reduce fraud in their supply chain by tens of millions of dollars a year. Now, in order to do it, he had to spend single-digit millions, but the savings is already many times more than that small investment. He says, now, once I've got an eye, a, a view of my supply chain and I have more control over it, then I can start thinking about what I might do to grow the business and change the relationship of how we deliver the end product to our construction customers. He said, but we can't really even do that until we get a hold of the supply chain, and we're going to use digital to do that. Great.
0: Okay. So let's, let's uh, do a little role play here. I'm that CTO, but in a different company who hasn't taken that Uh, that step yet, or maybe I'm a chief marketing officer, some C-level executive. Um, What are the tough questions that I have to ask myself to see if I'm ready to do something? That moment of looking in the mirror, if you will.
1: Yeah. Well, we actually, we help people with that mirror. We we have a a link at forestercom slash disruption where you can go and assess your readiness. We, we have a longer survey that we offer people, and in some of our consulting engagements, we do the bigger survey. But if you just want to go and say, how ready am I compared to other people? It's just four questions. You answer those four questions, and we'll show you the answers visually so you can see where you line up against other people. But those questions are really quite simple. It's down to energy, uh, skills, and policies and practices. And do, do you basically have the energy to say, we believe in digital and we want this to happen? Because some people don't want it to happen. They'd rather that they could just continue on with the job that they were hired for 20 years ago and have it last until retirement. But most people, 85% of people, tell us they have the energy for it. Skills, it starts to break down. Fewer than 40% of people tell us they have the skills or they and their company have the skills. And then policies and practices, that's where it's really difficult. And if you're at that C-level like you've proposed, what, we're, what you're going to find is that you might say, well, you know, I'm 30 or 40% confident that we have the, the right policies and practices to behave in a digitally disruptive way. And then if I were to give that same assessment to your direct reports and their direct reports, all of our data suggests that they will say about that they are half as prepared with the right policies and practices as you think they are. Interesting. So just a bare awareness that your policies and practices are probably more inhibiting of digital disruption than even you realize. So just having an iPad in the executive suite doesn't automatically make you digitally disruptive. That that's the important first look in the mirror.
0: But is the is the energy level at least around digital? Um, Equivalent. Whether you're talking to a C-level exec versus a an entry-level employee,
1: it is, and that's a good thing. You know, those of us who've been around Forrester enough—I've been here 15 years off and on—and I remember the days where we'd walk in the C-suite and it was all tension and anger, where they would look at us digital web people as some kind of you know people trying to diminish or harm the business. Now the C-suite believes in digital; they care. And and small R company, large company doesn't matter. They're r- roughly energetic or excited about what digital disruption can do for the business. And that's great. So energy's there, skills lacking a little bit, but you can train that. What's really the issue? Policies and practices are standing in the way. And so the next question that I always get is, okay, so what policies and practices need to change first? And I say, well, I, you know, each organization, I can't go in and diagnose overnight, which policies and practices need to change, but I can give you a way for you to kind of litmus test yourself and see what policies and practices stand in the way. And it's basically this. Tell your company you've got a problem to solve. Don't don't say, "What do we want to do that's new and cool, a company?" Right. You know, here's a suggestion box or an email, send an email to the CEO of what new thing you want us to do. That will always fail, I guarantee it. I won't go into all the reasons why it will always fail, but trust me, it will always fail. Instead, what you do is say, "We've got a problem to solve." The problem might be in this particular area, it might be in Uh, distribution, it might be in marketing, it might be in technology, it might even be in human relations, whatever it is, tell the company that you have a problem to solve and say, how could we solve it in as cheap and quick a way as possible? Make it clear that you expect the answer to use some kind of digital cheat, some digital shortcut, and see what people give you. And you'll find that people will come up with suggestions that make sense, they're usually obvious in some cases. But you have to then break some of your own rules in order to act on those best suggestions. Well, those are your rules. Those are the rules that are standing in the way. It's like, oh, well, our policy says we can't do this or we can't do that or we have to go through this security process or we have to go through this vendor approval process or that we can't enact a partnership without three months of due diligence. or what you know. Then you'll suddenly see those policy constraints that are absolutely getting in the way. Uh, then once you see them, trust me, there are more. <laughs> you, you need to repeat this exercise. Go somewhere else in the business and say, we've got a problem in our mobile store issue. Uh, What should we do to fix it, company or team? Because you can sometimes break out a specific team and say, we need you guys to help us troubleshoot this. You give people specific problems, let them generate the right solution, then figure out which policies and practices are inhibiting the implementation of that solution. Do that over and over and over again, and you will eventually find and eliminate most of the policies that are inhibiting your digital disruption.
0: So rather than leading with a big, if I play this back to you, rather than leading with a big digital concept, start with the problems you're trying to solve and the digital flow out of that.
1: If you make it clear to people that you want their best digital solutions, yes. Because if you think about it, and we've been talking about the consumerization of IT at Forrester here for years, where your employees are bringing their personal tech with them to the job. Well, now they're not only bringing the technology itself, They're bringing their heightened expectations of what technology should do for them. These same people who are spoiled by Spotify now walk into your organization and say, why can't we use technology to give our customers a better experience? We're kind of lame if we don't do that. Let them reflect that energy because that's Mm -hmm. a positive energy. And that heightened expectation on their part will lead them to suggest digital solutions to the problems that you have in the organization, which will then help you identify the problem barriers inside the organization that need to be fixed.
0: I'm curious, James, does the problem solution focus does that limit um, limit the scope of of what these companies are taking on? Does it limit their thinking a bit? It it does. Do you have examples of those who really discovered problems they didn't know they really even had. And digital helped them do that.
1: Yeah. Well, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to free up the minds of the people in the organization to think differently about how to solve customer problems. And letting you solve problems lets you focus on tweaking the organization itself. But hopefully you're simultaneously developing in your company the mindset of a digital disruptor. You're giving people the idea that, okay, Solving this problem is a nice thing to do. It's an incremental thing to do, and it, if it benefits the customer, we should do it. But if in the process of becoming someone who thinks digital first, you also identify the next way cool thing we should do as a it? company, then then bring that to the table, too. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I profile this one in the book, actually, and it's gone on a lot further since when I first wrote about them in the book. Jawbone, the company that makes those very elegant and relatively expensive Bluetooth earpieces or headsets got into the business of mobile speakers. Bluetooth-enabled mobile speakers at a time when that business was terrible and no one wanted to get into it. And everyone, if you'd asked anybody, should we invest in that business? They would have said no. But what Jawbone realized is this isn't about mobile speakers. It's about going to their mobile lifestyle customer and saying, what more does that customer need? And we have this whole process that we've developed called innovating the adjacent possible, which is finding the next thing that your customer needs and giving it to them, whether it's an incremental change or a huge leap, like they made in the case of saying, well, we need to leap into mobile speakers, a business that is actually quite terrible. And they made it thrive. Now it's a huge business, and everyone else wants to be into it. Well, have they stopped there? No. The next thing they said is, our mobile customer is really interested in their lifestyle around health and mobile fitness. Well, let's create a what they call the UP, which is one of those wrist bracelets that now everyone's making, it seems. Nike's making one, too. Uh, that tracks your steps and your sleep and a whole bunch of things related to personal fitness. Well, how is it that somebody who helps you do crystal clear phone calls on a small headset is suddenly now helping you track your health and fitness by giving you a wristband? That was a leap, but it was a leap in the direction of the customer that they understood using digital tools that they became very comfortable with as a company who has a digital orientation or mindset inside of Jawbone. So that, that's just one example of many of companies who, once they build that mindset in the organization, suddenly see completely what might have been left field opportunities. Right. Now they can go into those with some sense of how to pull it off. So
0: focus on solving some near term problems, but it's th- the mindset builds organically and spreads throughout the organization.
1: You inculcate, as a result, a mindset of digital disruption, and once you do that, stand back because your yeah, your yeah, employees let it, happen. let it happen and applaud it. Because your employees are going to suddenly start coming up with things that you are not so comfortable with right first. You're, you're the way, we need to slow this down. And then suddenly those same employees, who the ones who have the right mindset, are going to say, bag this place. I want to go somewhere else and do this where people really care about innovation.
0: So, so this will be a retention strategy absolutely. eventually for some of the bigger uh, firms out there. Absolutely. Okay. It will. James, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for Thank the time.
1: Thank you, Tom. This has been a Forrester Research Podcast. For information on how we can help you become a digital disruptor, go to Forrester.com disruption.